Hello and welcome to Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. Today we are discussing Westworld and Killing Eve and just touching on a couple other little things that we're watching and reading along the way. I'm Shannon in Oakland. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So let's start with some of our Downton news. Over to you, Therese, our Downton correspondent. <laughs> I feel like I should be making the... Yeah, okay. So here's some Downton news. So first of all, Lily James is starring in a movie called The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which I guess is a beloved I book. love that book so much. These don't feel like real words put together. What? What is it? The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. What's so weird about that? So she's starring in this. Um... Uh, but the cool thing is that so are Penelope Wilton um, mm -hmm. and Matthew Good and Jessica Brown Finley Ooh. all in the same movie. So little it's hella British. Mini Downton reunion. Um, so you recommend the book, Brandy? Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's been a long time since I read. It. I read it when it came out like ten years ago. But it's like set during right after one World War Two, and it's a, like all these letters between the different characters. So God knows how they're going to adapt that. But it's extremely charming. Mm. How many potato peels are there? They have to make potato peel pies because they're poor after the war. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Then I won't be <laughs> such a jerk about it. Our next piece of news is Laura Carmichael, our beloved Lady Edith, is dating Michael Fox. Do you remember who Michael Fox played on Downton Abbey? No. He played the footman, Andy. <laughs> no. That's yes. crazy. Edith and Andy. Edith and Andy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they seem very cozy. And then, last but not least, uh, Julian is making a series on soccer for Netflix. Oh, come on. Okay. Why? Come on. Make the Gilded Age of I know. He's okay. Not only is he making a series on soccer called The English Game for Netflix, he's also working on a series about the Rothschilds called Five Arrows. And I, I, I know, like, why are you doing this? Just work on the Gilded Age, get it done, get it on TV. I don't feel like there's going to be any sparkly headbands in either of these shows. I mean, I mean, I guess the soccer players could wear them, but it's a sweatband. Well, the Rothschilds. <laughs> The Rothschilds are like this super wealthy family from the 19th century, so okay, okay, okay. I'm sure there will be sparkly headbands in that. That that promises. I think we'll have good costumes and jewelry and all of that. So, but really, like I just don't. I'm. I don't even trust this going to happen because we've been waiting. We've been waiting so long for the Gilded Age. You think he's like George R. R. Martin? It's just never going to come. <laughs> I know he is George R. R. Martin of sparkly headbands. <laughs> That's what right. he is. Exactly. And then like, and then there's the continued rumors of the Downton Abbey movie. And there was this rumor that Highclere Castle was closed between May and July because they were allegedly filming there. But I haven't heard anything about that at all. And I don't think no. so. I don't think they would get away with it in no. secret. No way. So also Julian's probably busy picking out his top hat for the royal wedding. So he's been distracted. <laughs> Is he going? <laughs> Sure. I don't know. Who anyone who's anyone, I don't know. Yeah. I, I did record know. the Lifetime movie about the love of Harry and Meghan, Ooh. but I haven't watched it, does it yet. Sound, that sounds up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the Downton News. 
All right, so I know we've all been watching Call the Midwife, and what the hell is this show now? <laughs> and exactly. Um, I don't, I just, I kind of debated whether we should even talk about it, but we always check in on Call the Midwife, and I've just been so disappointed with the season. I mean, there have been several episodes that feel like a parody of Call the Midwife, <laughs> like the one where it's like, her husband, get, they just arrived in London and he gets hit oh. by a truck while he's buying fish and <laughs> chips. And then their shop burns down. And then she has twins. And then the whole <laughs> town like, pitches in for no reason whatsoever to completely renovate the house and the shop. I thought I, thought I was high while I was watching that episode. <laughs> just like, what is happening? I, everyone, everyone has watched the whole series. I'm assuming because I know you all are diehard Call the Midwife fans. Mm -hmm. So can we just talk about? If you haven't, skip ahead. But we're gonna spoil this this latest series because we have to. Okay, bringing back Barbara just to kill her off <laughs> with some random spontaneous disease. Oh my god, and you have to hear Shannon's theory about where this is all leaving. Because I was like, I was like, can I hang up on a text message? I'm so angry right now. <laughs> I was like, you know what they're doing. They're getting Barbara out of the way, so Trixie comes back. And her and the boring-ass preacher get together. Because they're together in real life, and they've got a baby together. And Trixie will be all... You know, I'm, I'm sober now, and I've atoned for my sin of enjoying life so I can marry this preacher <laughs> guy again. And he'll be like, I don't know what I was missing. Yep. That's what's going to happen. Right. Now, now that her dentist boyfriend beat the joy out of her with his wishy-washy nonsense over oh, his ex-wife. Yeah. How dare she ever <sighs> want to drink cocktails and paint her nails and do her hair and wear cute dresses. <laughs> that slut, she's... Virgin slut. Yeah. The the slut shaming of Trixie. After they reveal that she's actually a virgin, yeah. I mean the whole thing. The whole thing, just ridiculous. Being slut shamed by more or less the guy who she had sex with, right? Yeah. I mean that it's what is what is the show? I don't know, and it seemed like a lot of the characters really didn't have much to do. Like I don't know if Sister Julianne had a single scene where she wasn't sitting at her desk or the dinner table. Yeah. And then they finally brought in, uh, you know, a black midwife, which we've been screaming for for forever. And her storylines have been okay, but she's not like, the, they're not really like giving her anything like that exciting. Nothing even close to a love interest. I mean. No, she's just freaked out about tampons. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. That scene was, was really funny. The sex ed scene where... I, I think that was fine. A yeah. lot of those, like, little side around popular storylines are still fine, but that's, like, the sprinkling on top, you mm -hmm. know? I just feel like it's it might be time to pack it in because I don't know if there's a lot more, like, interpersonal drama to tell in this setting. Uh, they, they really haven't done a, as good of a job with the new characters as with old ones, and now, like, what, now Nurse Crane's just going to be depressed all the time, too? Like... Give her her Spanish lessons. Her Spanish lessons and her multiple suitors and her cute little cardigans. What happened to those storylines? Uh, yeah, really. And they, they did the same thing this year that they've done other years, which is one midwife has to leave for another one to come in because they clearly <laughs> don't have the budget to have all of them 
on staff at the same time. So Trixie leaves in one episode and Barbara shows up in the next. Yeah. It's just kind yep. of hilarious. Well, I think that the the show really started to go downhill last season with the whole Cynthia PTSD storyline. You know, I think that's where they really started to lose their true north. It was like, what are you doing? You're like punishing this character forever. And now they just want to punish Trixie. I'm just really mad. Although Trixie is apparently having an amazing time on the Italian Riviera. So good for her. (laughs) More power to her. Great. Don't come back, Trixie. Go to an Italian medical school, become a doctor, and leave Poplar behind. Yeah, why isn't she a doctor yet? I don't know. It's so frustrating. <sighs> it was like a perfect a perfect entree, but no, they wanted to give her a romance and All right. Well, we'll stay hopeful for next season and hopefully everyone stays alive next season. I mean, every year you think it's Sister Monica Joan that's going to be the goner. <laughs> <laughs> and it's somebody else. She is she is really the best thing on that show for me right now. I do really enjoy Sister Monica Joan. Um, oh, forever. She's, yeah. she's just great. So she better not die. But literally, how is she alive? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So let's talk about a show that we have been loving. Brand new. I've been just floored by how fun and interesting it is. And that is Killing Eve airing on the BBC. Yeah. Thank you, Brandy, for this recommendation. It's the best show on TV right now hands down. It's so good. It's so fresh. Um, Why don't you give us a little summary, Brandy? Because you're the best at Mm -hmm. this. So it's the great, 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 great Sandra Oh returning to television in a spy drama. She's an analyst for MI6, but she's sort of a weird genius. And she gets reassigned to this sort of like secret within the secret agency team who are trying to track down a mysterious serial assassin. And she's the only one who's convinced that this person must be a woman. Um, and then the woman figures out who she is and it becomes this really fun cat and mouse. They're sort of obsessed with each other thing, which I was trying to think of if I've ever seen a cat and mouse type of drama where both parties are women. I could think of like two where even one was a woman. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun. So it's just, it's just fun. And what I love about it is that Every episode is unpredictable. We're now six episodes into the eight episode first season. I have no idea how they're going to end things. And yet every time I'm sort of shocked by a a plot twist, I'm still completely on board with what the choices the characters are making, which is like really impressive writing. Like you never think like, oh God, why is she doing this? Oh, it's just to, you know, have this shocking thing happen. They're both just these really weird but completely consistent, interesting female characters who happen to be obsessed with each other. Right. And the show is, uh, was created uh, by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did one of our favorites, Fleabag. And this is not really an out and out comedy. Not that Fleabag was actually an out and out comedy. This is really a spy thriller with touches of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's comedic sensibility, which can be weird and dark. I love Um, it. But it's it's great. There's just some jokes in episode five that are so brilliant. So Sandra Rose, her characters are really bad dressers. So like one of the best jokes is her with, you know, the assassin, the sociopath. And she's like, 
I just have to ask you one question. Is that a shirt and a sweater as one piece? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> and it's like, to take moments to do such a great specific joke like that, because the assassin, of course, is a great dresser, you know, so they have this, um, and what I, one of the things I love about their dynamic is like, because the assassin's this great dresser and Sandra is like this bad dresser, it's like, she wants to help her be a better dresser. It's kind of like that best friend, big sister you always <laughs> wish you had that could like help you pick out a really great outfit for a date, but she also right. kind of wants to kill you. So, you know, right. it's just like a really strange, <laughs> really female relationship situation that I love. Yeah. The the assassin who is called Villanelle is um she has this one outfit which is so awesome. It's like a blue chiffon blouse with a pussy bow at the neck and cut off jean shorts and boots. And this is what she wears to do one of her mm-hmm. um hits. And it's just so fabulous. I, I I kept looking at it thinking I wouldn't wear that chiffon blouse because I would get it caught on a nail as I'm climbing the drain pipe of this Tuscan villa. <laughs> but she can pull it off. She can totally pull it off. So there's there's really great. They just play around with both of their looks um, as they sort of relate to their characters also people keep talking about how this is a very female drama and I do think that that fashion and fashion sense and things like that actually are part of the character development and the cat and mouse aspect of it and like the admiration of like there's honestly it's like kind of a lot of like girl support girl like hey girl your hair looks great Hey, girl, you like writing this outfit. Let me pick out something better for you. You know, like, I mean, but it's like, but they're also like, they're, they're enemies. It's right. Because it started out with, it started out with, hey, girl, I always believed you could have been the serial killer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I believe in you. Yeah. As being an assassin. I will say that, that this is all super cute. But the show really has a lot of killing in it. Um, oh, some yeah. very creative killing. A lot of yes. very creative and sometimes disturbing killing. So it's it's really not a comedy. It is a spy thriller. And the assassin is a complete psychopath. Oh, yeah. And she's so Let's good. talk about Jodie Comer for a second, the actress. I've never seen her in anything else, I don't Mm-mm. think. And at first I was a little like, oh God, this is going to be really over the top. It's going to be just like, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be like watching The Joker or something. Because she was just so weird right off the bat. But my God, she just owns that performance. And I'm entranced when she's on the screen. She has apparently been in a few things where she plays very sweet, innocent characters. So this is a complete departure for her. I mean, she really has a lot of extremes and she just owns them and uh, she gets better with every episode and I can't imagine anyone else playing her role. And I was a little like when I first saw her, I was like, oh God, another pretty girl trying to be bad. But you know what is so brilliant about it? She gains access to so many spaces just because she's got this classic, fragile mm-hmm. beauty to her and the way that the writers use that as an advantage as a weapon that she can gain access to her victims is brilliant absolutely brilliant 
It is brilliant. I, I do have a couple of quibbles. Um, I feel like her character is fantastic, but a, a little bit one-dimensional at this point. Like, I don't demand a backstory to explain every psychopathic killer's, you know, actions, but I am looking for a little something from her, just something that isn't just she's going to stare coldly as she watches her latest victim die <laughs> as the light goes out of their eyes. You didn't feel like that was addressed somewhat when we learn about her prison experience? Kind of, but I i mean, there's a whole Nadia and Anna and all of those things from her past. It's kind of interesting, but she's she's always playing... One of the things she does is draw people in by looking sort of sad and helpless or repentant or, um, mm -hmm. you know, she needs help. She's actually is cry for help to get out of this life that she's in. And it never is. It's just her fucking with someone. And after a while, I'm like, okay, I get that's your shtick, but it would be nice to just see like maybe one layer down. Well, I think you're going to get it. So I think I think it's coming um, because where she's at right now, she's in prison. Mm -hmm. and, you know, this is going to – it's already stripping away the layers and, and she's just lost her power. Um, yeah. And so I think we're yes. going to see that. And I think one of my favorite moments of the first um, – I think it's also episode five, my favorite episode – um, is when she does this whole, I want to get out, blah, 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 blah. And Eve just goes, bullshit. It yeah. was mm -hmm. brilliant. I mean, like, even when you get this kind of like, you got a bad woman, you got a good woman. I just feel like their rapport, the confidence in Eve to follow her instincts is just really rare. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I have a question because I think when we get to talking about Westworld, I'm going to have a complaint about a character where I like that trait here. So what makes it interesting when a character is obsessed with something versus absolutely maddening when a character is just obsessed with something? Why am I, why do I love it so much that Eve is like making bad decisions in her quest to get to Villanelle when over on Westworld, I want to strangle the band in black with my bare hands. So I have a theory, which is that Eve Eve is obsessive and sometimes completely unhinged, but she's doing her job. Like, this mm. isn't just some random thing, some character quirk of hers. She is actually working for MI6, and she is trying to track down an international assassin who is systematically killing all of these highly placed people. And... She is obsessed with her job, just like many male antiheroes have also been obsessed mm. with their job. Um, and that has driven them to do some sort of unhinged things. Whereas the man in black, I don't even know what his deal is. He just, <laughs> he's just like a lot of male tears and self-actualization. And I mean, it's for no purpose at all, except him working out some kind of inner demon that I'm not sure I'm that interested in. Whereas Eve is Eve is is doing this in pursuit of something. She has something she wants that she's trying to get, and the way she gets it is quite anti-hero like. But mm. she's committed. She does. She's good at her job. 
I don't see her as an anti-hero. I see her as a pretty straight hero. Because um, she hasn't done anything that bad yet. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't see her as, like, a Walter White. Um, but... No, she's no, not a Walter White. No. Yeah. But I think she does get to do some of the things that are traditionally male anti-hero types of yeah, characters. Yeah, she, she's breaking do, some sure. rules. She's breaking some rules, but she's still upholding the system. So I guess that's why I see her as more of a hero. Fair enough. Yeah. I think, to me, I feel like this case is her PhD. She's here to prove herself. <laughs> she's going to get her degree. I actually would honestly say I don't think they needed to kill off her friend. Um, I don't even think she needed that motivation. I think it's fine. I think it's kind of classic. But I think she was already plenty motivated to go after this woman because it's what's right. And it's she. It's her PhD. So, yeah. At least they killed the white guy instead of the black woman. Right. Even though they really do need to give Elena more to do. Literally give that girl something to do besides stand around and listen to other people. And, and literally she's been asking for a job and no one will give it to her. She's like, I'll do that. No, you can't go. You can't go to Berlin, right. but I want to go. I mean, it's kind of sad. It's like, someone pick this girl for dodgeball. Please, someone pick her. She did not want to go to Moscow. No, nobody though. wants to go. To, after Berlin, nobody wants to go to Moscow with Eve. Right. So. Except Aunt Petunia, but you know. Yeah, Fiona Shaw is also phenomenal oh in God. the role of her boss. I mean, she's a weirdo too. Everyone is so specific. Yeah, It's wonderful. They are specifically weird, which makes their characters so delightful the scene where they're meeting in moscow with the two russians i won't say too much Mm. about them but uh that whole scene where um carolyn played by fiona shaw is like putting on lipstick and getting ready to meet with these russian agents and you're like (laughs) what is going on here she's giddy it's so giddy yeah she's giddy and it's such a great scene and just watching all the dynamics between the four people at the table um, which, again, I don't want to spoil it, but it is such a well-written and well-composed and well-performed scene, which mm-hmm. I could say about a lot of this show. Yeah, and the style is actually incredible on the show, too. Um, one thing I also love about the connection with Eve and Villanelle is Eve is scared of Villanelle. I feel like you get a mm-hmm. lot of these like cat and mouse and they're the heroes too blustery. Like I'm not afraid. No, she's fucking afraid because yeah, mm-hmm. she knows what this woman is capable of. And like, but even though she's afraid, she can still say bullshit. And that's where I think this show really shines. It's like, she can be vulnerable and real, but still strong and believe in her instincts, you know? And I just think that's cool. She's going to, like, die on her feet. You know what I mean? She's like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to play your game. I want to talk about a couple things. One is her relationship with her husband, Nico. The other is, you know, I'm probably not, like, the perfect person for this kind of psychological thriller because the deaths really upset me. And the sort of cold-blooded, psychopathic character performing these murders upsets me in a lot of different ways and there's you know there's one that happens in a safe house and I that one really really disturbed me a lot I'm not really sure why but the victim you know was kind of whimpering knowing he was going to get killed and 
And then the aftermath, you know, you sort of, it's not like gory, but you do see the aftermath. And it, the whole thing was like, ugh, this is never going to leave my brain now. I think that's good. I think the fact that all the deaths that are take, are being taken seriously mm-hmm. like that show is a cut above what this kind of show really is, usually. How, it's, how something like this is usually done, where the bodies are just MacGuffins on the way to the final showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is more disturbing, but I mean... I think that's just really incredible storytelling as well. I mean, it's the same thing with another character who asks her, you know, are you going to kill me? Are you going to do it right now? Like, it's almost like trying to stall her 30 more seconds before yeah. the death comes. I mean, it that scene blew me away. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, I don't know, recently I went on a slight uh, Twitter, like, rave rant thing about the British show... Um, Unforgotten, which is about uh, people solving a cold case and how seriously it took the victim who had been dead for 40 years in a way that I had never, ever seen a mystery show take the victim so seriously that way. Um, And it was extremely powerful. I was like crying over this character you've never even like really see on screen. Um, And I feel like in a weird way, this is the horror show version of that. Where everything is just like, everything has so much meaning. That's why it keeps reminding me of Silence of the Lambs. Honestly. Yeah. It's just like each of those deaths haunted you in that movie. There's a lot of like symbolism and images that are really distinct in that movie and in the show. And I think there's a lot of parallels. And uh, which is great because I don't think anything has been like that since. And I don't even like horror stuff, but I love Silence of the Lambs because it's such a great psychological thriller but also like I don't know kind of relationship piece it's just really interesting and I that's what I love about this too and it's just like it's so fucked up but it's like they just really admire each other a lot it's like really (laughs) interesting yeah so the answer is you asked about her husband and we oh I mean my only thought, like, like, like seriously, my only thought regarding that is I don't believe she's the kind of woman who would have changed her name. <laughs> it's like my only mm, thing. Good point. Really good interesting. point. That's interesting. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a cipher. I, I'm interested in their dynamic. And I mean, the thing that strikes me about him that I really like is he gets how incredibly dangerous what she's doing is. Mm-hmm. And he's he's really really upset about it, and he is constantly trying to get her to understand how dangerous this is and that she's going to die, like that kind of stuff. And that's not like you're not home to cook me dinner, you know, or <laughs> you know you don't you spend too much time with your work friends. No, it's like this job you're gonna die. Yeah. Usually you see that and it's like the wife of a firefighter who's like, you got to stop running into the backdraft. (laughs) Well, and I actually think kudos to the writers. They didn't make her a mom because that would have been really easy that she's a mom of a baby and you're in date. But no, I love that. It's just like, no, I care about you. You're my best friend. Like, I don't want to see your picture in the newspaper that you're dead. And I think that was a really kind of bold move by the writers to not make her a mom. Yeah. But Sandra O, oh, she cannot play any characters who are mothers. That's just the rule. 
I've seen her in movies. Have you? I, I just yeah. want to, I want to plug, um, which something that it may have been her very first film. So Sandra Oh is Canadian and there's this little Canadian film called double happiness. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend it. It is just a really lovely coming of age film. She is the star. She's quite young and it's her trying to break out of her sort of stifling Chinese Canadian, you know, family mm-hmm. and become her own person. It's actually that same director who she's worked with multiple times. Her new movie, Meditation Park, which is now on Netflix, is released by Netflix in the U.S., where Sandra Oh does play a mom. So. Full circle. Same director as did Double Happiness? Same director as Double Happiness. Oh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, same director, Mina Shum. One other thing that I think is cool about this show is it's BBC America's sort of follow-up to Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. And here we have another show that's got these really very complicated female characters in it. And I like where they're going with this. Yeah. And I love that Sandra Oh is such a dork. Like, I just love that she's so goofy. Like, you take her really seriously, but like, yeah, she's wearing a shirt that is like literally <laughs> like it's a collar of a shirt sewed onto a sweater. You know? Hey, those are, those look convenient. Come on. Oh my god. I'm telling you, like I laughed out loud so hard yeah. episode five. And there's other jokes that I won't say them because I want people to enjoy them, but they're brilliant. Um, because I think dark humor is really hard to hit, and I don't think anybody's trying. Like, I, I just, actually, you know, like weirdly arrested development does it really well sometimes with these like under your breath, <laughs> kind of like dark things that are really, really funny. And um, I think so much of it is the actress that plays Villanelle. She's just, she's got great comedic timing. They they couldn't have cast a better actress. In, in, in that same episode, there is this little throwaway joke about um, Eve's uh, cell phone oh pen. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> Which is, it's just hilarious. And it's in the middle of this like completely horrifying moment. Oh my God, the delivery of that line. Yeah. Ugh. To even think to write that. Bow down. And then yeah. the delivery of it. It's yeah. just like, it, it's like this rubber band that they play with so much. I mean, I think that episode yeah. five is absolutely brilliant. I think it's one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a really long time. Um, that's how much I liked it. And that scene was just like, it's just brilliant. It was so good. (laughs) So now that we know that they're going to do a season two, are we worried? Because I do, there's part of me that thinks this could just wrap up in two more episodes and be kind of a perfect thing. No, I want more. Oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Villanelle gets caught. And she turns and becomes an MI6 agent, and they're oh, teamed Lord. up to solve crime. No, she's too crazy. <laughs> Literally, Villanelle is Cersei unhinged. I mean, she's just Cersei with a little less restraint. <laughs> I mean, that's what... No, I mean, at, at that point, you're looking at season two that literally is Silence of the Lambs, yeah. right? Like, because it can't just be letting her out and about. She would have to be in her glass cell advising them. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. She would just sit in that office with a mask on her face. Yeah. <laughs> what I heard was the dinner scene between her and Eve. That was um, her rehearsal, her audition scene, mm, which is really wow. interesting. I feel like the one thing we haven't mentioned about this show is there's a lot of sexual undertones between the two of them, too. So, oh, I mean, yeah. they could just fuck each other and kill each other. 
Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there's some slash fic out there already. For <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, when Stars picks it up, I'm sure it'll go like <laughs> <laughs> The Stars version of the show, they would have been watching each other in the shower by now for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, <sighs> Killing Sorry, Eve, stars. BBC America. <laughs> Check it out. All right. So, switching gears, you know... Um, I'm really excited to talk about the next show because, um, for once, I'm not the hater. So that's exciting. That's oh, this new. This keeps happening. Weird. I don't know. Weird. What's going on? Um, uh, Westworld. Everyone else hates it. I'm enjoying it. Haters go first. Hate's a strong word. I just <laughs> am frustrated. I'm frustrated with the first few episodes because I feel like so little has happened. And I was not prepared for a season two that was going to, I don't know, take place over only a few days. Uh, I was really hoping that the big shenanigans at the end of season one would leap the show forward. And instead we seem to be just spinning our wheels here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been really frustrating for me. And I also feel like all the female characters are so separated. We get like one moment where Dolores and Maeve actually get to talk to each other and then they just pass by and it's like, oh, that was great. And then what? They're never going to see each other again. Great. I, I have a prepared statement on the show. <laughs> oh, no. So I've written it down. I have nothing to say about this show except it is boring me out of my mind, and just the idea of talking about it is putting me to sleep and pissing me off. Read the four hours of my life watching season two that I'll never get back. Teresa's just mad at us that we're making her talk about it. Okay, <laughs> noted. Noted. Sorry. I don't know why... This doesn't bother me because I'm usually like the plot, <laughs> plot, plot, but I don't care. I love the playing with time. I love the playing with memory. I love the cyclical nature, the nonlinear nature of the storytelling. Yes, Dolores has had too many, I'm a man going into battle speeches. Oh, God. She's gone full season seven, Buffy. It's insufferable. <laughs> But I don't mind, and I feel like she's going somewhere. I mean, we've always known she's a special robot, so I'm interested to know more about her special robotness. I mean, I love Bernard. Um, Maeve looks like she's going to have an exciting time in the next episode, so I'm really pumped about that. Um, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. You know, I know it is kind of a ripoff of Lost, the last episode, but I don't care. I miss Lost, and I loved it. <laughs> God, Shannon texts me and she's like, why are you so mad? It's just like the hatch in Lost. And I text back all caps because it's just like the hatch in Lost. <laughs> like, I'm over it. He's even listening to a goddamn record while he's on a fucking exercise bike. I mean, it's the same. I know. It's the same scene. I loved it. I loved it. It's like Lost meets Vanilla Sky meets Ex Machina. I love it. I don't care. I don't care. Can we just talk for a second about... The white people's wet dream of uh, the British (laughs) colonization of India, that land. I was like, dang. Right. Colonial land. Yeah, that was weird. Where white people get to wear khakis and brown people get to serve them. I'm gonna I, I liked that scene because I'm like watching it by myself. I'm like having a glass of wine and then the tiger comes on mm. and I'm like, oh shit girl, there's a tiger. <laughs> like I'm just like fully into it. Like that's more of what I want from yeah. the show. Agreed. <laughs> I, I that like kind that, of stuff. I like that scene as well. 
I if I if I don't have to spend any time in the old west, I would be perfectly happy with season two. But every time I see a horse, I'm just like, <laughs> no. It's not the old west that's the problem. It's just that it, I don't even understand where they're going anymore. Like, where are they physically going? The man in black and his like sidekick. I don't even. I don't know what time he's in. I mean, I'm. I don't know. Yeah, is he still, like, before the massacre? Is he after? And then, like, going back to what you said, Shannon, about Dolores being a special robot, she is a special robot. Like, a few of them have become sentient, right? But uh, the vast majority of them are still just robots, and yet we're supposed to be rooting for them massacring actual human beings. And I don't really get what the show, why the show wants me to feel that way. They haven't given a good reason yet. Um, I guess I'm okay (laughs) with it, but... um... I think we're going to get there. I think Shannon overall is much more of a downer on the human race than I am. Just like <laughs> yeah, that's true. In general, that's true. philosophically. Yeah. So that might be where we're parting ways on this. That's true. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, li- I like the weirdness of it. I don't, I don't need a destination right now. I'm enjoying the journey. Okay. And I would say my main complaint is that Maeve has been absent a lot and I'm ready for her to, you know, do some stuff. And I do think her daughter is going to be important. And the kids seem to be, I have to say, the kid hosts seem to be weirdly, um, like, aware. And they, like, talk directly to the guests in a way that the others don't. So I think there's something up with her daughter. I did quite like that scene at the end of episode four, which is the last mm-hmm. one we've seen while we're recording this. Um with the daughter sort of, like, um, giving hell to the man in black. I was like, yes, more of this, please. And she's done that before. Um, yeah. So I think there's something up with the kid hosts. So I think once we find Maeve's daughter, um, it's going to be good. I have to say my main beef is with Elsie's hair. Um, I don't understand how long she's been in that cave, but her hair was, like, silky. I mean, did he leave her some dry shampoo and, like, a brush? Like, I... She just looked great. I was like, girl. Yeah, this is also just like Lost, where Kate had perfectly plucked eyebrows <laughs> yeah. for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and her hair was always like shiny and stuff. It was just, I mean, she used, she did have sweat stains, so we'll give her that. She did. They did make people sweaty, yeah. but they never grew back any hair. No, yeah. but it was like, I mean, she literally, she was like, I, you left me in this cave with these protein packs. I was like, and like a hairdresser. I mean, she's looking great. She doesn't even have any dirt on her. She's got her makeup, her hair. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? I was happy about that return because I, in season one, I was, I was pissed that they had killed off in quick succession several female characters. So glad to see that one of them wasn't really dead. By the way, we haven't even mentioned the very small and rare gift of full frontal male nudity. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's what offered us. I do appreciate that always, all the time. So I just thought that was thoughtful, and I just want to note it because we have, you know, discussed this previously, so. I mean, Westworld isn't for everyone. A lot of people don't like it. It's super weird. It's super abstract. I think it's just kind of my kind of weird abstract show. Like, I didn't like The Leftovers, but I like this, so I don't know. Oh, see, I fucking love The Leftovers. I know. Yeah, I'm with Shannon on that. Although I hear season two is better. Season um, two is one of the best things I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah. I have a lot of catching up to do. Um, yeah, yeah. I I don't mind that it's weird. I I like that. I just I just find everything that happens in Westworld proper 
incredibly boring. I actually can't tell you what's happened. Like, I don't think anything has happened. So this is annoying to me because I don't want to hear any more speeches. I don't want to see any more guys with beards get shot in the face. I'm just done. I'm done. (laughs) I'm in it. Let's bring it. I'm going to keep watching it because I think, oh, I hope and suspect that a lot of what I haven't liked about the first part of the season will uh, accelerate as they get towards where they're going with the season story arc. Um, So, you know, the storylines that are frustrating me right now will hopefully actually lead somewhere. I like all the stuff with Delos, with the guy, Mr. Delos, that whole weird yeah. yeah, that I thought was pretty interesting, and it makes me wonder. I guess, the, yeah, I, I feel like they're hinting towards that, like every this other experiment they've been doing mm-hmm. and with everything going on with the, you know, the man in the room that William kept visiting, his father-in-law or whatever, like that they're, this is going to end up being a story about pursuing the singularity, which I just am not interested in. Like, I just don't find that topic to be fascinating, because if I was... I don't want the singularity. If I die, who cares if my brain's in a machine? It's not me. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, we'll see what the characters we'll have to say about it. But, I, you know, I'm in it. I'm enjoying it. Um, I find it a nice little escape. Like, I haven't gone back to Handmaid's Tale yet. We are going to discuss it in our next podcast. But to me, it's enough of a fantasy that it's still really fun and enjoyable. It's like a little adventure tale. It's like Peter Pan. You're just going to a different land. Great. Oh, Ugh, I can't stand Hen- Peter Pan. Handmaid's Tale is just so much fun. It's just hilarious this season. It's just oh, Teresa, stop it. <laughs> that love story, right? Oh, it's just it's so funny. You won't believe it. <laughs> I think like the last thing I want to say because we always have to bring this up before we leave Westworld is <sighs> why did they introduce like an Asian world and all these Native American characters and everything else, if none of them are going to get to, like, actually be developed in the same way. I mean, I was super cringing at the, like, Native American tribe and all of their violence on the last episode. Oh, they're all bad. Yeah, all of the... It's like, oh, it's great you put diversity in. You know, you could have just made a bunch of white people in the wild frontier, but then you just put everybody in stereotypes and gave, didn't give anybody agency. So really you didn't, you didn't do it right. <laughs> warrior. They're just like in warrior paint and like, uh, uh, they heathens. Also really the, distressing yeah, to me. <laughs> all, the Asians and the Latinos, they're all stereotypes and, um, it's pretty bad. It's a problem on the show. And, um, as we know, most people that work at HBO are white. So it's a problem that HBO is continuing to deal with. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about that new show, Succession. I mean, it looks really fresh. It's like another white family. <laughs> it's just in power, 17 white guys. With, yeah. You've got two white sons. You know, who's going to get the money? It sounds really fresh. So, you know, HBO is <laughs> cutting edge. I mean, I'm sure that the argument... From the creators of the show would be those are worlds within the world and they're created by these characters and they're created for a certain way so that's why they're stereotypes they're story mechanisms but like and of course they did have felix last season who's a great asian character mm-hmm. i'm missing him a lot oh he's he's um, in it for a second cameo for that. <laughs> yeah um 
I think I know what the answer would be to all of that, but I'm just, I think it's just one of these things where it's the missed opportunity is really frustrating to me. Yeah, totally. It is. And I think HBO has a problem. They really need to employ more uh, creative artists of color and they're going to continue to run into this problem until they change that. Um, They can't just, can't just lean on insecure, you know, they need to really widen their bench. And I think that we're seeing that. I bet you, if we looked at the the writers group um, behind the show, they're all white. So, yeah. <sighs> Anyways, let's talk about one fabulous thing. <laughs> one fabulous. We need a one fabulous thing song. We do. I think we just need a bell to ring. Like I just want to go ding. <laughs> one fabulous thing. Okay. <laughs> Well, we're kind of doing some, like, joint ones. We're um, not going so individual. And I know Brandy and I first want to talk about um, our friend Brenda Lundin's book, Ship It. It's a YA novel uh, set at uh, a couple different comic cons of, you know, uh, a teen girl who is really excited about her favorite show about shipping the two characters that they're not gay in the show but she really thinks that they're in love and they should be in love in the show and hilarity ensues and also personal growth and love and it's <laughs> a fucking delight and I loved it it's really good I mean yeah not just saying that because Britta's our pal and she actually guessed it on the podcast once a couple she of did ago. yeah she did yeah um, but I bought a copy of it for my mom for Mother's Day <laughs> Like, that's how much I was enjoying it. Um, It's just, it's surprising, not surprisingly, but I think most people will find it surprising how deep the concept of just talking about fan fiction and fandom gets Mm -hmm. um, in this kind of story. And I think that, like, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about the book and how it really has helped them feel seen. And I think that's really important. (laughs) Like if you have a teenage girl in your life, who's like just obsessed with, I don't know, teen wolf or whatever the kids watch these days, (laughs) get them this book. It is so beautiful and fun. I mean, and I just devoured it. It's a really quick, fun read. So fun. And the characters really stick with you. And I think, I didn't know anything about fanfic. I didn't know what the hell Brenda was talking about for a while, you know? (laughs) But I was like, great, Uh uh-huh, yeah, love it, awesome. Um, And it's just so good. It's just about caring about something and finding Mm -hmm. people that are like you, and that's really hard in high school. And um, it's just a delight. Great friendships, great coming of age, great love stories. Some surprisingly sexy scenes, too. I know. I was like, dang, girl. Um, and it's honestly a total delight and just treat yourself, get this book, enjoy every word of it. Then please go on Amazon and write a review of how much you loved it, um, to support our friends. <laughs> Ship it. Yeah. Lundin, L-U-N-D-I-N. I'm going to get my copy. It's so good. Also the, I, I mean, I wish this was not an audio only thing because the, the, cover art under the slip cover is the coolest fucking cover art so I've cool. seen on a book in I don't know how long I mean I'm almost like mad that it has a slip cover over it because it's so cool. You know I was thinking of not putting the slip cover on it on my bookshelf because I like the the bookcase so much it's so beautiful. It's worth buying that's why it's worth buying the physical copy even if you usually do the Kindle version I think because the book itself is just a, a really beautiful object. It is yeah 
So another book that all three of us have loved, Look at Us Agreeing on Something. Oh, yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians is an amazing book that will just make you laugh your ass off. It's so fun. And countdown to August when the movie comes out. <laughs> Three months. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. The trailer, I've watched it probably five times already. I have too. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> and I'm not a big movie trailer person. Like, I usually am like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm interested. I don't really care. But I just keep watching it and being like, oh, my God. There they are. <laughs> I can't wait to join the party. <laughs> this book is so silly. And it's, it's just so, good. so much fun. I hate flying. I really hate flying. I get really scared. And when I was flying back from Denver this past weekend, I found the book in, the, in an airport bookstore and read it, and it distracted me through an entire flight. And basically, That's I finished it in 24 hours. Yeah. yeah, and you laugh out loud a lot. It's totally fun. It's really, <laughs> it's totally fun. And I learned a lot about fashion labels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are, like, bestsellers, so, I mean, we're not, like, discovering anything. Yeah. <laughs> we were just really excited when Teresa said she'd finally read the first one, because Shannon and I have read the whole trilogy, and they're all just an absolute delight. <laughs> and I'm just so excited for the movie, and I really need it to be a huge hit so we can get the other two movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, we have to So have everybody that. needs to see it on opening weekend. Yes. Yeah. It just takes me time to get around to things sometimes, but I do, <laughs> eventually. And it was cool, like, reading an interview with the actors in Entertainment Weekly, and they said it was so powerful to be on set with so many Asian actors. Like, they're usually, mm -hmm. like, the only Asian actor on set, and they're usually playing a stereotypical role. So to be on set with so many Asian actors, they said, was a really cool experience. And it's just going to be a total hit. It's just going to be so fun. And, I mean, it looks like the production budget looked good. Because we all know we need that wedding to be off yeah. the hook. So oh, yeah. it's going to be, <laughs> I think it's going to deliver. They did a preview screening of it um, at a fest here in LA already. And I was, of course, like watching Twitter for people to start getting out of the preview screening. And all the reviews were really good. I mean, people were into it. And um, they had several... Um, female Asian critics there who were like, I can't really describe what it was like to watch this movie because it's just like nothing we've ever gotten to have before. It's a rom-com about Asian people. <laughs> it's like a Jane Austen story. It really yeah. is. It's a comedy of manners set in super rich Singapore. It's incredible. It's so funny. It's so touching. Like you have family, you have love you have friends it's got everything in it and fashion it's amazing Ugh, i'm so excited anyway. can't wait <laughs> so my one fabulous thing is canopy.com which is a streaming service with literally thousands of films on it that you can watch for free just with your library card and i know that all of our listeners are delightful nerdy library card holders so this should be a snap for you and um it's great and this is a completely self-serving because um, my last film how to lose your virginity is now on canopy so you can watch it for free if you want and another film i did called i was a teenage feminist is going to be uh posting on canopy shortly so check out canopy it's spelled k-a-n-o-p-y 
Com. You don't have to watch my films, but you should. Um, but it's a really cool streaming service, and I know love it. Canopy. Yeah. Can I just say? Yeah, I am always evangelizing for Canopy, and people are like. What are you even talking about? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like the world's biggest fan of the library. Everything I reads from the library, mm-hmm. like it's, it's all free. It's, yeah. Oh my god, it's all free. It's true. <laughs> I will say, Brandy is literally the library's <laughs> biggest fan, and she's be, she's made me a fan. I love the library. <laughs> it's the best. But there are so many really cool movies on there. There's like so much international indie classic stuff that you can't get streaming anywhere else. Um, and I actually watched on there recently. A movie I learned about from you, Teresa, on the same episode of the podcast that we had Britta on to bring it full circle, Parting Glances with oh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah. Which I just loved and cried my eyes out, and it was so great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. And that's hard to find, that film. It's on Canopy. That's great. It's easy to find now. You can find it from your bed. <laughs> Canopy with a K. <laughs> K-A-N-O-P-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton Abbey. On our next episode, we're going to be discussing Handmaid's Tale and Dietland, which will actually be on AMC. And so catch up on those uh, so we can be ready for all the, the juicy tidbits on the next episode. Thanks so much. Have a good night. I'm a real life wire. Psycho killer. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Fa, 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 fa